Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team. Welcome to another episode of Editors Unedited. I am so happy to introduce again Jessica Williams, who's joining us today. Hi, nice to be back. Thanks for having us, Lainey. Um, So I'm sitting here with Kate Elizabeth Russell, whose debut novel, My Dark Vanessa, we're all so excited about here at HarperCollins, and it's coming out in January 2020. Kate, I'd love if you could just give listeners a quick description of your book and the work it's doing. Sure. Uh, My novel, My Dark Vanessa, it tells the story of 32-year-old Vanessa Y, who learns that the teacher she had an affair with in high school has been accused of sexual abuse by a former student. And the novel, it alternates in narrative back and forth between the present day and their years-long affair. Um, That structure is meant to show sort of the juxtaposition of her at 32 discovering this alongside her experience as a teenage girl, sort of discovering um, the exhilaration of being singled out, made to feel special. Um, by an older man. With this novel, I really wanted to immerse the reader in a story about a predator who asks for consent and who uh, receives that consent, um, and a story about a victim who says yes more than she ever says no. Um, and my ultimate hope was these characters might compel the reader to rethink their own understanding of abuse. So your novel has already created an incredible amount of buzz, which you are well aware of, but maybe the listeners are not. Um, so it's sold in 24 foreign countries, I think over the span of a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You were recently named a, bu- a buzz book of BEA 2019. And then we also already have this incredible endorsement from none other than Stephen <laughs> King, who said... I had the feeling you get at the end of some books when you know the next one won't be as good. My Dark Vanessa is a hard story to read and a harder one to put down. A well-constructed package of dynamite. Well, one, I just like, what did you think when you heard that from Stephen King? (laughs) Well, it came in written form. It came in an email, just a personal email to me. And it was such a... he had sort of braced me before he read it when he agreed to read it. He said, I'm going to be honest. And I'm like, good, good. I want you to be honest. But really, um, love it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I received that email, I was in the midst of querying agents and I still hadn't gotten an offer of representation yet. So that was a huge confidence boost. Yeah, huge. of course. Yeah. Of course. Um, so you already sort of touched on this. I think to some people on the outside, your story might seem like an instant success story. Because everything happens so quickly, and you know everyone coming to your book at the same time around mm-hmm. the world. Um, but for you, it's been a long and painstaking process. You remarkably started working on this book when you were just 16 years old. For me, it landed in my inbox. I read it basically in one sitting, and it, then it set off this internal and frenzy, internal frenzy here in house, where everyone was reading and talking about it and emailing. I think at all hours of the night, and then we basically bought it the next day. 
I guess I'd love to hear more about what it was like on your side, starting with how the novel began Mm -hmm. and a little bit about how it progressed and what it was like for you when you started suddenly hearing from all these publishers wanting to sign your book. Yeah, well, I did. I started writing this book when I was 16. um, And that really came out of me as a teenager trying to understand my place in the world, the way that older men were starting to treat me, to treat my friends, um, other girls I knew, and it trying to make sense of it, just trying to understand the world that I found myself living in. Um, and so I started writing it when I was 16, and I feel like when I say this, to people, I I feel some obligation to follow that up with, oh, but it wasn't that good, or I had no idea what I was doing. Um, but I did. I really, I, I think I understood, or I know I understood, even at that age, what the emotional core of this story was, even if the characters weren't quite, quite right yet, or I hadn't figured out the plot, or even the settings. I, I knew what that sort of emotional current was that that would run through the novel. So through all those years of work and revision, that that emotional core, I think, has really remained the same. And that's what gave me the um, the ability, I think, to stay so committed to the novel, even though it took me so long to, to get it right. Um, and so... I continued to work on it through, um, I, I wrote it through my sort of teenage years, and then I studied creative writing in college and undergrad, and then um, went straight from undergrad into an MFA program, continued to work on it there, went into a PhD program with the resolve to finally finish it once and for all. So you've talked to me, and it's so clear in the novel, that you have some real love for pop culture Mm -hmm. that made its way into this character, specifically Fiona Apple, Mm -hmm. and also for the novel Lolita, which you say you have a very complicated relationship with, but that you did read it around, or I guess you were 14, so it was around the time when maybe you were starting to ask these questions Mm -hmm. or notice these dynamics. I'd love to hear a little bit more about how those two influences made their way in there as well. Sure. I mean, I came at reading Lolita when I was 14. I was drawn to it, I think, because of that cover, that famous cover with the skirt and and the legs, um, which seemed, I guess, titillating in a way that appealed to me at that age and dark and and sort of exciting and I read the novel and it's the the sort of horribleness of it was very apparent to me but as was not even necessarily the love story but the way that Humbert puts Dolores on a pedestal right that's that which made every feel teen special. girl wants right 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 <laughs> um but then even more than that not I would the way he see, does it right, to clarify. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, seeing uh, someone like Fiona Apple who was my favorite musician who I looked up to so much at that age uh, seeing her described as Lolita-esque in interviews and especially with this music video criminal that was really famous in the late 90s um I, you know, loved this musician. I, I wanted to emulate her. And so then seeing her referred to in this way as Lolita-esque, it was confusing. Um, it, it seemed contradictory. And I didn't quite understand, like, if this was good or bad. Yeah, and, yeah. Yeah. 
Over dinner the other night, you told me a little bit about what you were doing when you were finding out about your book selling. Can you tell us about teaching in the classroom? Sure. I was in I was in the classroom. I was in the middle of teaching when I um, got the call from my agent and uh, like initially ignored the call because I'm a good teacher. Um, and then she immediately followed that up with an all caps email like, you need to go leave the classroom right now. You need to call me. Um, and yeah, I told my students, this is an emergency, but it's a good emergency. I'll be, <laughs> be right back and got that phone call that just changed changed my life. And so that was your agent who, I, she said, told you to sit down because mm-hmm. she had a first offer right. on your book. And then she said, but I think we can do better. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which then you did. You started working <laughs> with me. Um, so, yeah, since you have spent so many years working on this one story, I know it's been interesting for you in terms of how your motivations went along. I think it's rare that debut novels tend to take a long time. Mm-hmm. But this is somewhat of an extraordinary long time right? and how young you were when you started. So I'd love to hear how your inspiration and motivations evolved as you went. And did you ever think about quitting and writing something entirely different? I, right, yeah. I mean, I absolutely <laughs> did. I absolutely did. But so, like I said, that emotional core, I, I felt so committed to that. And it felt like I'd internalized this story so much that that's what sort of propelled me because it it got to the point where it was almost unthinkable for me to give up on it, even if I took breaks or even if I contemplated, like, maybe my life would be easier if I weren't always, like, pushing this boulder up the hill because that's what it felt like. Um, but the alternative, which would be to just not write it, that was almost unthinkable. And to give up on this dream you'd have since right. you were 16 years old. Right. Um, but it was, like, I'm not a mother, so forgive me for this metaphor, but it was a difficult birth, this novel. It, not just in the amount of time it took, but it did, it took so much of my energy. It felt like it consumed me, um, especially when I was really deep in the writing process. And it was an isolating experience, as all novel writing, I think, is because you do have to be sort of obsessed to, to a certain extent. And so working on it in that sort of isolation of, like, I was the one holding me accountable, even when I was in writing programs where I might have deadlines or I had to finish my dissertation, that it was still me, you know, pushing myself and, and nobody necessarily caring if I finished it or not. So going from working in isolation to now. Yeah, where everybody cares. Right, right, right? which is wonderful. (laughs) It's wonderful. So you said your approach to the story did evolve, though. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which, clearly, right? Right. You mature a lot. Your thinking changes a lot. You've studied a lot since you started. So I'd love to hear a little bit more about how it evolved. So the relationship between Vanessa and Strain, her her teacher, when I first started writing this novel, when I was a teenager, their, their relationship, it was almost this like Bronte-esque love affair. It was this forbidden love. Cliff and Catherine. Right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, and in that way, it was sort of like a fantasy, uh, you know, um, that's sort of like all-consuming, like super passionate, exciting. Um, a dream that I think really can appeal to you when you're an adolescent. But as I got older and my own understanding of how um, consent works, 
how coercion can work, and also sort of taking a wider view of the culture I was living in and how the ways that that culture enables this type of behavior that is abusive, um, that started to sort of inform their relationship and the way that I was approaching it um, and the way that I was characterizing Vanessa and focusing the the novel and the narrative on her yeah rather than trying to take into account like Strain's perspective which well it makes sense because she goes from I mean we first meet her in the opening in 2017 she's 32 right but then we go back to the very beginning when she's 15. Mm-hmm. And then we follow her through every year in between. And so mm-hmm. her thinking about the relationship also evolves. Right. I think just as any like real individual evolves and matures and then looks back with a certain level of insight, right. we also see her doing it. But clearly for you, it was different as the creator. Mm-hmm. So you told me that you heard no a lot throughout yes. this process. Yes, I did. I mean, and, and that no would come in different forms like it I certainly applied to a lot of fellowships I didn't get a lot of residencies that I didn't get a lot of creative writing programs I didn't did you ever submit short like excerpts of short stories I did I did I I got a few published but they're so different too it's funny looking back like there was one plot line with a real estate agent that the teacher was dating that it was told from the perspective of that character um so a lot of trying and sort of knocking on doors. And you um, also tried to write from his perspective for I a did, little while. I did, I did, which men really responded to and said that was, you know, that they really felt like connected. Like male advisors right, yeah. during the programs. Um, but it just, I didn't want to be writing that. It felt kind of gross, um, Just which I think was because I really wanted to be writing from Vanessa's perspective. Well, and because of Lolita. Right, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it... It took me a while to get to the point where I could commit to her, just her voice. Um, but so hearing the discouragement came in a lot of different forms. And sometimes I think it was well-intentioned. And like professors and classmates, I think they saw me sort of struggling with this story because it was big. It was a big project Vicious. to take on. And so the suggestion to like, why don't you put it aside and try working on other stuff? Pleasant short story. Right, right. (laughs) I I don't think that advice is necessarily like ill-intentioned. Like I think that's good advice because I did need to grow up a lot, I think. You know, certainly from 16 to be able to, to do justice to this story. But... Also, I, I experienced a fair amount of, of reactions in creative writing programs specifically that seemed to be coming from these places of discomfort, people sort of projecting that onto me and, and my work um, that I sort of had to learn how to filter out or sort of navigate. Um, like I heard people say, like, this subject matter is just too difficult, you know, like no one's going to want to read this or... Um, like, Vanessa is incomprehensible. I remember hearing that in sort of different forms. Like, no one's going to understand her or be able to to relate to her. Which is crazy because she's one of the most well-formed characters <laughs> I've read in a long time. Um, and also the idea that, like, writing this is irresponsible because it's romanticizing abuse. But that's kind of the point. Like, that, that's one of the points, you know, that, well, that I'd like. Well, you're telling it from her perspective. So right. at a certain point, 
she is romanticizing right, it. Right, right. And, and so her, how can you not, as the creator, when you're in her head right. and speaking through her voice? Right, and and the idea of romanticizing abuse is being a, a coping mechanism because looking at what's actually happening is just too frightening or too difficult. And so you you put, put a sheen on it, right, that makes it more palatable. Um, well, even under less extreme circumstances, we all sort of build up these narratives in our right, head. right, right. To make our lives more bearable or yes. the things that have happened to us more bearable. Absolutely. Um, so hearing a lot of, of sort of feedback like that, and sometimes it got personal, just like uncomfortably so, telling me I needed to grow up and move on. That's one that sticks out to me. As if um, you couldn't write fiction. <laughs> like, I mean, it's just so, I feel like it's, right. it kind of goes back to that idea that women are always writing about themselves. Right, right. And that there was like, yeah, something that I needed to sort of cast out of me in order to be a real writer. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, your book is out in the world now in terms of here in our publishing house. Mm -hmm. And then it's sold to so many different foreign publishers. And so a lot of people have gotten their hands on it. And the People just cannot stop talking about it here at HarperCollins, which you saw a little bit around our halls yesterday. And I've been hearing from so many early readers here, everyone from our production team to our art department and sales and our beloved library marketing team. And some of the things I've been hearing the most are that it's impossible to put down, we cannot stop talking about it, and also that it feels so true. All of which I think speak to the strength of your storytelling and character building. So how did you get Vanessa to feel so alive and her story to ring so true? I mean, other than what we've talked about, and that was time. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, time was huge. And I think in terms of the looking back at the writing process, one thing that really changed was my once I decided to commit myself to her, both in terms of the voice, keeping it first person, like focused on her, but also just committing myself to understanding her and trying to sort of almost embody her while I was writing this um, because I wanted her voice to be so immersive and her character so developed that the reader would almost like lose themselves in her and 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 sort of understand her understand that seemingly incomprehensible behavior it's a very intimate relationship that the reader has with Mm -hmm. Vanessa while while consuming this book um and it, it got to the point where she started to feel, you know, while I was working on the novel, she started to feel her, like her own person. I would joke to my friends that she's more real than I am, <laughs> which it's sort of a creepy experience. A lot of writers say stuff like that, though, too. Like their characters speak to them or right. when yeah. they know that they found the character when the character takes over the story. Right. Um, so I think that is, that's probably when you know it's working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I looked at other, or I thought back on other novels that I'd read that I'd had that experience with that I felt so immersed in the voice. Um, like White Oleander is always the book, the, the novel that comes to mind immediately because it, it, it gave me that feeling of losing myself when yeah. I read it as a teenager. Um, and also like The Lovely Bones and Room and Prep, these these books that just sort of transported me. That was the reading experience that I was aiming for as I was writing they wanted this. To create, yeah. Which I think we all love, that compulsive, mm-hmm. immersed completely. And it also gives us a sort of vehicle and way in which to deal with tough and dark subject matters 
through fiction. Right. Um, that the reader can consume and then think about, but it feels a slightly removed because mm-hmm. they know it's a novel. Right. Yeah. Right. So even though you were off on your own for all those years working on the book, it also feels ripped from the headlines, <laughs> right? Right. Probably even more so as you went along. Contemporary culture filtered its way in there. I wonder if you can speak to those influences and how they made their way into your writing process and then how you felt as the news increasingly began to reflect the themes you had already been exploring for so long. Basically watching with people grapple in real time with questions like, what does consent mean? What does consent look like? Mm-hmm. What is psychological grooming? Which I feel like is a word we didn't even really know right. Like as a cultural, um, it wasn't part of our conversation right. just a few years ago. Right. How does it work? Who is complicit in these relationships, right? The Mm -hmm. institution, the individuals around these characters Mm -hmm. who cover it up. um, Who gets to be a victim. Right. So, yeah, I know that's a lot, but. (laughs) It is a lot. I mean, it felt like a lot. It felt like a lot while I was working on it. In terms of the contemporary culture, I mean, I I always wanted, you know, you want your novel to be read as timeless, I think. And relevant. Right. And I wanted it to be rooted in the time period that it is set in to a certain extent in that I wanted to make clear that, like, I am a writer who lives in the world and these characters in the same way they live in the world that it's set in because these these ideas and our understanding of what consent is, for example, that has changed. And so I wanted to root this in the culture, both when it takes place in the early 2000s, I wanted the way that people seem to be understanding this relationship to reflect how I remember, how I remember, um, sort of the, how I, how I remember being taught about consent at that age as a, as a teenager. Um, There's a scene where they're given the rape whistles. Right, right. And I remember, I guess it was my freshman year of college being given a rape whistle. And that seems like almost like an ordinary thing and a good thing. You know, you're being given something to protect yourself. They're talking about it at least. Right, right. But then on the other hand, if you take a step back, it's like, this is not just this you're given a whistle to protect yourself when that in and of itself is kind of ridiculous in, yeah. in a way, but also that you, the lesson that you're being taught, which is that there's danger out there and it could very well be coming for you and there's nothing really you can do about it, but here's a whistle. I mean, that's... And that's, also as if, if it does happen, clearly you didn't protect yourself Right, well right, enough. because yeah. there are all these steps that you're supposed to take. Supposed to and, take, And yep. um, if, if some kind of violence does happen to you, then there's always something that you can point to that you didn't do right. Yeah. Right. It sort of sets, sets you up for failure. So I wanted that in the novel. I wanted that in the novel. Um, but then as I was writing it, I mean, I saw our cultural attitudes start to change. Um, I Once I saw people start to rethink consent and sex positivity and, and these things that at least when I was growing up were sort of presented as the right things, like consent means saying yes and, and um, you know, taking ownership of your sexuality is good, um, period. Like, that that's sort of what I was taught. As in no gray areas. No gray areas or... Well, I guess it's probably 
more presented without gray areas, mm-hmm. but to the person who's hearing it, it seems riddled with questions. Right. Um, right. And even now, I feel like we're reckoning with what is consent. Right. Um, right. And like the seek and confirm, and mm-hmm. uh, what is the term right now we're hearing a lot in the news? Um, vocal consent. Right. Right. And. Uh, which, if you think about a lot of novels and romances mm-hmm. we have revered over the years, it does. It's not there, right? It's not there, and and also even something as simple as as you know having an experience and you said yes, but then you walk away feeling violated or yeah. or feeling gross or feeling used, and what do you do? What do you do with that feeling because you consented to it, and so there's nowhere for you to go and and that's there I don't think there's any easy answer I don't know if there's any answer yeah. at all that we can even fathom really but that's what I wanted to engage yeah. with so you were in your PhD and I know that you said when you like landed there you decided I'm going to finish the novel mm-hmm. and as you were working you had already set that contemporary storyline yes. in 2017 mm-hmm. where a former student is coming out and accusing Strain mm-hmm. and Van- Vanessa is contacted by this former student to support her story mm-hmm. and clearly Vanessa knows a lot about Strain and they did have this secret relationship but for Vanessa the story was always a love story right and so for her it's sort of earth shattering mm-hmm. like it's like this earthquake it's the story being ripped from her that she has told herself Mm -hmm. her entire life. And so here you are working on this novel, and then Me Too starts happening. Yeah. It was, I mean, it kind of freaked me out. Because you'd already had this accusation storyline. It felt, well, one, it felt exhausting. Because on the one hand, I'd be, you know, scrolling through Twitter to sort of, as a way to, like, waste time or just try to relax. Though I know going on social media isn't the best (laughs) way to relax. But um, it it would be all these stories. And um, so it felt in a way like I couldn't escape it. It it was more... I think we were all exhausted by it, though, Yeah. And then at the same time, like, I was on a deadline. I had to finish this novel for my... To defend my dissertation on time. So I I was really forced to be in that space, like, all day, every day. Um, And I did worry. I worried about how to handle this because, I mean, it, it wasn't clear when these stories started coming out, like, where the... It, was it just going to be about like Harvey Weinstein or the was it right? Powerful, rich yeah. People, yeah. Um, and eventually, and so I didn't know how to implement. And didn't it. someone say to you, "Oh, no, this is great for you"? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, is it though? Because I worried about it seeming um, too on the nose, or or like my novel, if it, if I was going to manage to finish it and send it out, that at this point it like would you were start capitalizing to feel, on yeah, this yeah, in some like way. it was opportunistic, which is the last thing you want. This, I, yeah. Right? Or um, any artist wants their work to be right, seen as right. Um, so it was, it was a surreal sort of experience watching watching people grapple with these questions that I was grappling with in my book, and and I just had the hope that not not to capitalize on it but just okay well maybe like the time has come for me to finish this book and put it out in the world maybe people are ready yeah 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 Yeah. so looking back obviously across these years so much has changed as Mm -hmm. you've talked about I wonder if there are anything that really stands out to you like specific examples from culture 
Like you talk in, well, I know more and more now today we talk about Monica Lewinsky, Mm -hmm. and she is in the novel. Right, and she shows up in the novel in the section set in 2000, um, and it's it's funny looking back. I was 13 when um, the... I don't even know what to call it because usually we call it the Lewinsky scandal, and that feels wrong, oh, it right? Has a official name, but we all know the Clinton Lewinsky, right, right? And it was so formative in a way, and and sort of similar. I I feel to my to looking back at how I felt about like Fiona Apple, and I adored her and looked up to her and loved her, and the media and other people seemed to you know paint her in a certain way. And Monica Lewinsky, I remember watching interviews with her and thinking she seems like such a nice person like I want to be her friend because I was you know 13 14 years old and being so aware of how she was treated and how horrible it seemed at the time but that everyone was participating in it um and then you know getting older and and as a culture we started to look back and and now I think we right we understand what what was done to her um and I also, I'm a big Britney Spears fan, and I was as a, as a teenage girl, but I didn't tell anyone, or, or, or I, you know, pretended it was like an ironic joke, right, because that was, she was so marketed to teenage girls, and yeah. the thing teenage girl was bad and frivolous, but looking at how um, the media treated her, especially early in her career, yeah. and sort of took such delight in when she stumbled. When she came undone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you recently completed your PhD, as you've said, and so obviously you're an academic, an avid reader, I'm sure a longtime lover of books, Mm -hmm. but do you remember how you first discovered that you loved reading? Uh, Definitely through my mother, um, both filling the house with books. We lived in a really rural town, um, barely even a town, Um, and she would take me to the closest library but it was still like a 25 minute drive away um but I remember during the summers the state of Maine library had a sort of books by mail program for kids and one summer I have such vivid memories of getting the library books which were books that were not available in our small town library um they'd come in a cloth bag like a burlap type bag with a big brass zipper um, and it was a program that was sort of like read across the country and so uh, the more books you read the further you you traveled and they'd send these little like touristy trinkets from different states as you read across the country I think I got to California by like the beginning of July yeah. like just so as a small town girl yeah, you got to see was, a little bit of the world yeah books. yeah it was both you know opening up your mind this with is books pre-internet. of course pre-internet yeah. of course yeah and it yeah, it 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 gave me a glimpse of the wider world in a way that I really, I don't think I had. I don't think I had access yeah. to anywhere else. And so you worked in a library too. Yes, and while you were working on your PhD, I did. Both worked in in terms of writing this novel. I wrote so much of it in the library. Like there were stretches of time I went to the library at KU every day, um, but I also worked. In in the library, I had a job buying, selecting what books to buy. Was that exciting for you to be it able to? It was the best job I've ever had. All I had to, like, my job was to research new books and decide which ones to buy. Like, it was the dream Did job. Did you find that you were realistic in terms of what would actually circulate or more buying for your uh, taste? 
Well, they hired me because they considered me an expert in, like, contemporary lit that was coming well, out. Wasn't that so, your, part of your focus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I am an expert. Um, but so, and it was an academic library, too. So I tried to think of what other students might want to see, yeah. you know, to, to have access to. Um, but it was a little bit of my taste, too. You can't help it. Yeah, you can't help course, it. Of course. So before we wrap up, I wonder if you have thought about this yet, if there's one thing or maybe more than one thing you'd really like readers to take away from My Dark Vanessa. I mean, I want this book to be part of a conversation. I want it to spark conversation. That's, I think, my... It's definitely happening around here. That's what I want more (laughs) than anything. Um, Because I think that experience which we talked about of looking back at um, something that happened to you or something that happened to to a friend of yours or some story that you might remember from when you were younger some rumor that you always that at the time you maybe accepted as like oh that, that was weird or that's just something that happens sometimes or that was bad but it wasn't that big of a deal or the fact that we painted Monica, Monica Lewinsky as bad even right. though she was what 22 right 22, 22 yeah. years old. So uh, com- compelling readers to, to look back that way and to question. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I want. Well, I think, I hope, it's already happening here, and so I hope the media and booksellers and librarians will agree with mm-hmm. us once, once they get a look at My Dark Vanessa. 